This is Banks and Commentary. I'm your host, Candace Banks, and welcome back to the show. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with my old high school classmate and Black man MD himself, Dr. Dub. Now, Dr. Dub is a pediatric resident at the UNC Chapel Hill Medical Center. He is also the creator of Black Man MD, which is a blog where he details his journey from medical school to residency. Look, this is a great episode, even if you have no interest in medicine whatsoever. We talk about how Dr. Dub pursued a career with passion and consistency, all while maintaining a blog in medical school. Look, this is a great episode, so let's go ahead and get into it. Hey, Christelle, how you doing today? I'm good, Candice. How about yourself? It's good to talk with you. I know. Whoop, whoop. So <laughs> we went to, for the, the for the people who don't know, I, I still feel like DJ Envy. We went to, <laughs> Christelle and I went to high school together. So we haven't seen each other in years. Literally. Years. That's crazy. So you're doing some amazing amazing things you just finished uh, medical school you're now in your pediatric uh, residency and you're just killing it you're also writing a blog called black man md just chronicling your journey throughout this process and throughout medical school and it's really inspiring to to hear from you and see all that you've come through i appreciate that i i really do uh, and i'm honored to i'm honored that you asked out reach out and ask me to be on this podcast. I'm excited to be here. So thanks. Nice. Of course. So we can go ahead and get started with the questions because I'm just so curious. um, What was kind of your motivation for becoming a doctor? Man, so it's funny. I I wasn't like other people who say that they knew they always wanted to be a doctor since they're like five or whatnot. Like I actually was pretty adamant about not wanting to be a doctor when my parents my mom would always like try to press me to you know go on the medical route because she's a uh, she was a registered nurse she's now a nurse practitioner and my dad's a pharmacist and so you know I have a background from my family's sense in the field of healthcare, and so my mom always like uh, encouraged me to go down the medical route and so as, as the stubborn little boy I was I decided I didn't <laughs> want to do that <laughs> and it wasn't until high school um after going to an optometry appointment, um, that I started to become a bit interested in the field of vision of um, um, vision care, and it, I've always worn glasses since I was five, and I mean, since I was ten, and so I always, you know, understood the importance of vision and you know how people took it for granted. So that kind of um, kind of um, transitioned my interest into the field of healthcare. And then my mom took that interest and convinced me to go down the medical route. So as opposed to doing optometry, she uh, encouraged me to go down the ophthalmologist route. Ophthalmology is like eye surgery. And so I would have to go to medical school for that as opposed to optometry school. And so I thought it was a good idea. So I ran with that. And so I ran with that throughout the rest of high school, um, college and medical school. And up, it wasn't until my third year of medical school that I decided I wanted to go into pediatrics. So um, I made that switch um, after a lot of reflection yes. <laughs> and talking to people. Yeah. And now I'm in my second year of pediatrics, um, my residency program at the University of North Carolina. And so that was kind of, I mean, it's, it's not as dramatic of a story as others, but that's my story. So no, that's. 
That's real. That's real. And um, we actually we're going to get into a little bit about how you switched to pediatrics because, you know, you chronicled it in your blog. And I was reading. And I was like, huh, OK, OK, this is where the <laughs> switch happened. Right. Um, so uh, what was your initial kind of push for this specialty? You wrote in your blog about how you wanted to pursue and I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Ophthalmology. Did I get it? Yeah, you got it. Yes, uh, how you wanted to pursue ophthalmology, and I pronounce it again just so I can. <laughs> and um, so, what was your initial push for the specialty? You talked about, you know, going to the eye doctor. Was there anything else that really solidified, hey, this is what I want to do? Yeah, so I, I just having a personal connection of um, always of having impaired vision throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the first time I put a, a pair of glasses on when I was ten in fifth grade. Um, up until that point, the world was just really blurry to me. I'd always have to like sit at the front of the classroom, you know, to just read a board to like see people's faces. I couldn't see mm-hmm. people in the hallways when I was walking past them. And I thought wow. it was just everyday life. I just, I didn't realize how much I was missing. So wow. when I put my glasses on for the first time, I, I, I was just in awe of all the detail that the world had to offer. I could wow. see little stains on the walls, I could see the little blades of grass on the on the ground. Wow. I could see like the clouds in the sky. It was it was amazing. It was still I still remember I remember that feeling. And you know, it, it stayed with me. And um I, you know, I, I thought I would make a pretty good story, honestly, yeah. in my high school mind. I was like, well, if people ask me why I want to go into medicine, why I want to go into um ophthalmology, that's kind of my story. Nice. That's kind of what um, catapulted that uh, switch, and um, I mean that there were a couple of other things that happened in, during my high school years that also pretty much solidified my decision to go down a medical route, whether mm-hmm. it be ophthalmology or not. Um, my dad was really sick during my junior year with cerebral mm-hmm. uh, malaria, and that experience really um, affected me and mm-hmm. really wanted me to not uh, be as helpless as I was during that time period. Mm. And um, that was another motivating factor to go into the field of medicine. I really wanted to get an idea of what the human body was like, what, how it worked. And just because we all, you know, we all have bodies we live in, but most of us don't know how it works and how it functions. And so I wanted to get a better understanding of that um, uh, because it just made sense to made sense to me uh, to try and get a better understanding of the thing that we live with each and every day and we take for granted. Wow, that's good. That's so good. And I actually, I wear glasses. You can see that I I have them on now. Um, In high school, in 10th grade anatomy class, this is when I figured (laughs) out that I needed glasses. uh, One of the teachers was like, I was like, hey, can you make it bigger, please? Da, 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 da. She's like, no, you need glasses. Go get your eyes checked. So I got my eyes <laughs> checked, and then lo and behold, I, I needed them. Um, but not too much. I, I can go without them. But, yeah, that was my oh, experience. Wasn't as nice as yours. <laughs> so yeah, my can- prescription is like negative six. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you got your glasses on. You're good to go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about your journey to um, medicine uh, in college from, I guess, from going from high school to then taking all your pre-med classes to then applying? What was that journey like for you? Yeah. So <laughs> um, 
I so I when I applied to college, I uh, knew I was going to do the pre med track. I just had it in my mind. I was like, all right, I'm going to medical school, so I just had to figure out what I got to do to get there. Um, so you know, I went for the pre med track. I was a biology major initially, and I got to college, and very quickly I realized that biology was not the major I wanted to go <laughs> with because it was just way too broad. I realized that I'd be taking ecology classes. And I think mm-hmm. that was the turning point. I was like, I don't want to learn about plants. I want to learn about a human body. And mm-hmm. so I ended up switching my major um, in, in the second semester of my freshman year to microbiology and immunology, which is a lot more tailored to the things that I wanted to learn about, especially the immunology portion, because I was able to learn about the immune system that all of our bodies harbor, most of our bodies harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I stayed on the medical, on the microbiology and immunology major um, on a pre-med track throughout my four years of college, uh, three and a half years of college. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up also minoring in psychology um, around my junior year of college, just because I also wanted to get a better idea of, you know, how people think, why people are the way, way they are, just to have a more nuanced understanding of people as I went into medical school and trained to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so I did all of that. And because I was on the pre-med track, I automatically qualified for a minor in chemistry mm. so that was kind of that in a nutshell um and other than that I I took it upon myself um especially in my uh, late junior and most of my senior year to uh, get involved with the maps chapter of our um of the mm-hmm. uh, um minority association of pre-health students so we uh, with that group, I was able to shadow positions. I was able to um, link up with uh, various med students and people in the SNMA, uh, which mm-hmm. is the Student National Medical Association. Um, and I was able to just learn a bit more about the medical school process, about what it's like to be a doctor. Um, I also was able to link up with the um, uh, they changed the they changed the name, but it's the minority office at the University of Miami Middle School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to work with them over the course of my years in in college and just, again, um, do summer programs with them, uh, learn about what it's like to be a medical student and a doctor, and also study for the MCAT through their programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, all my classes that I took were pretty tough, especially like mm-hmm. biochem and orgo. Like, <laughs> like I did not enjoy those classes, but it was a means to an end. And at the end of the day, I appreciated what I learned um, mm. um, in the, ma- the vast majority of the classes I took. And it um, prepared me a good amount for medical school and allowed me to have like, that thought process to really um, do better as I, I went further along in my career. Gotcha. So in Orgo, in Biochem, because who? <laughs> <laughs> what what kept you motivated during this time man i mean just i don't know this the drive like i i knew that i was going to go to medical school like i wasn't going to waver from that um and i wasn't going to let any class stop me from that goal um and so i just had the resolve i mean i just I had a resolve to you know just push forward i didn't and i really I was fortunate enough that I was not only able to believe in myself, but I had a lot of people believing in me and that pushed me and encouraged me. Um, even when I was starting to doubt myself, where I was saying, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the grades I'm used to getting. Like, I mean, in biochem, I got, that was the first C I'd ever got. Like, 
in the class as a final grade. And it was just like, I mean, by that time, I was applying to med schools already, but I was like, mm. gosh, like, I got to see this class. <laughs> and then in like Oregon, I got like a, I think I got like a B minus or something. I was barely mm. like in that class. And so <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it was like having people in my corner and just people to talk to and especially people who were in medical school and who had, um, you know, gone through those things and mm-hmm. telling me that it's okay. Like it's not the end of the world. Um, there's so much more that goes into applying to med school and it goes to being a doctor than like grades. But, you know, as like someone coming, going in college, comes from high school, like we're conditioned to do well in our classes, we're conditioned to get the highest grades we can get to get onto the next step in our career. And so, um, I mean, that process was interesting in the sense that I, had to learn to, you know, be okay with like not doing perfect on my classes mm-hmm. and um, learn to work with what I had and, and uh, leverage, leveraging that along with my other experiences outside of my classwork, my coursework to um, be the best advocate I could be to med school and then ultimately be the best doctor I can be in the future. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but we recently recorded with a guy named Black Vito, and he was talking about motivation and resolve. When you go into something, anything, and you have, start with the end in mind is what he said. When you have the end goal in mind, you can kind of take every experience and everything that your opportunity and every class and turn it into a learning experience to what you want to get to. And for you, it was, it was becoming a physician and an awesome physician at that. Right. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So when you're going through this process, because we might have some listeners who um, might be on the medical school uh, route or who might be going doing like post-bac programs or what have you. So um, how did you research potential schools and then narrow down your medical school list? So I know that you said you uh, was a part of SNMA, um, the MAPS chapter, and and hooked up with the minority office um, at your university. So how did you do that research? Yeah, so I, so first of all, it is really hard to determine like how to even like start the application process when it comes to medical school. And so I really try to make it easier, easier for myself by limiting to geography. Um, I knew that I wanted to do the best I could to stay on the East Coast. Um, and so all the schools I applied to outside of UCLA, because I wanted to go to, to LA <laughs> to check it out. Um, but outside of that school, um, all of my schools were on the East Coast. Um, and also, I mean, money. Like, I, I mean, as a college, I applied straight out of college. And so, I mean, the money I had was the money that I was saving up with my job, my part-time job I had in college. And so um, it was, money was a limiting factor. So I was only able to apply to 12 schools overall. Um, and I think applying to more schools, I mean, the number of schools you apply to is based on um, how strong you are with an applicant, mm-hmm. how strong an applicant you are. Um, so, but that being said, I mean, you can only do what you can do. And so I applied to 12 schools mm-hmm. um, and or, again, all on the East Coast. Um, I also, if, uh, I'm just trying to think back. I remember just looking through each of the school's websites and really seeing what they were doing about diversity, inclusion, equity. That was a really big thing. It still is a big thing to me when I look at programs, um, when I'm looking at uh, fellowship programs in, in the near future. Um, looking at that, I was looking at uh, how the curriculum was structured. Um, that being said, I mean, 
I was really going to be happy to go get into a school. So <laughs> I wasn't really picky. <laughs> I wasn't really that picky, but like I, I didn't did want to get that good idea of what schools had to offer in terms of curriculum, in terms of um, diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, and uh, those were the two big things for me. Um, other any anything anything else other than that, I could work with. Nice. Good. Cost of the program too. Right? That was also like something that I tried to look at because um, medical school is expensive. Um, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't that picky. Yeah, nice. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because I wrote down something else that I had a question about. Um, but you mentioned you just slid it in that you had a part time job during <laughs> college while also being a pre med student. So, how were you able to fit everything in? So, lucky for me, my part time job was on my campus. And so, mm-hmm. it was as a desk assistant at the on-campus apartments that I lived in. And so it was actually pretty easy for me to fit it into my um, everyday schedule. So I was very fortunate from that standpoint because um, literally my job was like downstairs from where I live. <laughs> so I just like, you know, um, um, most of my job was, you know, sorting mail and um, managing the desk as people came in for problems and um, for their mail and stuff. And so it was a pretty low-key job. And I was able to on my downtime during my job, actually get some studying done and kind of work on some other um, work into my actual job and get paid for it. And so it wasn't, it, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't really um, much of a hindrance at, at all. And uh, my boss, she was very understanding. I mean, everyone I worked there were um, uh, students at the University of Miami. And so it, it was, it was very amenable to my, to my everyday schedule. Gotcha. That's good. That's good. And so you talked a little bit about the cost of programs too, as um, something that you were looking at. Um, So I think if I read correctly, you got a scholarship to medical school. Is that true? Yeah, I did. I ended up getting um, a few small scholarships for medical school. So that was, it was added up to a pretty hefty amount. So that was really, really helpful. And how yeah. did that process look for you? Because uh, I know, you know, people are like, oh, medical school, law school. No, they're not going to give you a scholarship. So can you talk a little <laughs> bit more about that? It's funny because I actually didn't know that you could get scholarships to med school or law school or graduate <laughs> school in general. I didn't know that's a thing. And I actually didn't get my scholarships until after I got accepted to medical school mm. and I was in my first year of med school. And so every school is different. Um, but the way that my school worked. So I went to Wake Forest School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, mm-hmm. North Carolina, and it's a private institution. And so they have, I mean, private institutions typically have um, a good amount of um, funds in their endowment and stuff. And so mm-hmm. um, the way it worked in my school was um, our financial aid office was an excellent office. And so they took it upon themselves to find scholarships for the students um, mm-hmm. if they felt that they would qualify for it. And so Honestly, I mean, a lot of the small scholarships I got, I found out by an email from the financial aid office. They were like, congrats, you're awarded the scholarship because you qualified for it. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah, I got $8,000. Great. And so <laughs> that was like how a lot of the scholarships I got in med school worked. Um, there was a couple that I had to apply for, and um, I was able to get a scholarship that way. Um, and there were like, there was one that I applied for I didn't end up getting. But I mean, for the vast majority of the scholarships got in medical school, they were pretty much, the financial aid office found it for me, found them for mm. me, and they 
let me know that they were going to apply that scholarship to my overall, um, I guess, bill for med school and mm-hmm. to deduct some from it from the bill. And so um, I was overall able to get enough scholarships to cover a year of med school. That's um, awesome. I all up. So that was really great. I'm still in a lot of debt, but, you know, I'm grateful for what I can get. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, medical school is expensive, you know, and to be able yeah. to have something to help supplement that, that is a, such a blessing. So kudos to you, man. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate you. No, of course, of course. Um, so would you have any advice for any college students who um, maybe are on the pre-med track and are looking forward to medis- uh, medical school? So, yeah, absolutely. So I got a few pieces of advice, actually, just kind of looking back at my own experiences. Um, while I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my experiences for the world. Um, one thing that I probably would have kind of regret not doing is, especially if you're a minority student, um, I didn't I didn't join the MAPS chapter as early as I probably should have. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, MAPS is the Minority Association of Pre-Health Students. And it's it's the is linked with the Student National Medical Association, which is the organization that is made up of primarily um, minority pre-med students across the nation. And that's that organization is a really strong student-run nonprofit organization. Um, and it was very instrumental in my medical school experiences. And so I joined the MAPS chapter like late junior year of my college experience, where I could have joined it like early on my freshman, mm-hmm. freshman year. And I probably mm-hmm. had access to a lot more um, a lot more mentors, a lot more advice. There's like more opportunities to take advantage of throughout um, college that I kind of struggled with, um, especially early on in college that I uh, that I wasn't able to find until later on in college. And ultimately, I ended up fine. But mm-hmm. it is a piece of advice that I would give to um, pre med students. And there's obviously like a ton of pre med organizations outside of MAPS as well. Um, gotcha. There's there's plenty. There's like at least five to think of at my institution. So I think it's just joining like one or two um, early on in your freshman year if you're a pre-med student would be a great idea just to really, at least if anything, have exposure to opportunities that you wouldn't have known about otherwise. Um, one other piece of advice that I would give is, is a very commonly held misconception that as a pre-med student, you have to major in a science major. That is completely false. You can major in whatever you want as long as you take the pre-med classes that you need to fulfill the pre-med requirements. And the pre-med classes are like biochem, you know, like a math class and language class, um, mm-hmm. uh, or, no, or some, it's like there's several classes that you just need to take. But um, other than that, you can major literally like in, I don't know, like um, musical studies, literature, business, like whatever you want. And I personally believe that people who major in these various things outside of science actually look even better on paper than the people who major in science majors mm-hmm. because you just seem like a much more interesting person honestly at the end of the day to the admissions committee especially if you if like your application is, is almost identical to someone who is who did the traditional science major um if you all are pretty equal in like um, power in terms of your application, the person who did the interesting things would be looked at probably more favorably upon because they're like, wow, this person brings this whole new dimension of 
whatever they did um, into, they could bring it into medicine and become like a more holistic doctor. And so that's, mm-hmm. those are two pieces of advice that I would give to pre-med students off the top of my head. That's good. That's awesome. And I think another thing too, um, that I, I have a couple questions I want to ask you, because you talked about SMA and I have an aside, but uh, <laughs> so what if you have, you know, some kids who are, or students were not children, uh, they're not children. Sorry, guys. But students <laughs> um, who are, you know, looking at maybe taking a gap year. What was uh, your reason for kind of just going straight through? Um, was a gap, gap year something you ever considered? So to be honest, throughout college, at least for myself, I didn't really know taking a gap year was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, you know, in my head ever since high school, like I said, I was just conditioned, okay, high school to college college to med school, med school to residency and beyond. And so that was just like my straight and narrow path. And I mean, in college, you just kind of, um, especially if you're not, you don't have exposure to like pre-med organizations or anything like that early on, you just believe that that's how it's supposed to go. You just need to like keep moving and not take any breaks. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, after I like, you know, got involved with MAPS and got involved on like shadow people and like talked more to pre-med, to uh, medical students and whatnot, I learned that, you know, taking gap years is more of a common thing that I realized. And you can actually do very, very, um, you know, very great things during that gap year that can ultimately help you in your career. And so I even hearing that I still was going to go straight through. And it really wasn't until um, I got my M score, MCAT score back. It was like it wasn't bad, but it wasn't that good either. As good as I wanted it to be. And it was ultimately going to be the limited factor on my application and it could have been decided factor whether I got into med school or not and so I mm-hmm. as I kind of went through my senior year waiting for for, for interviews and um and acceptance I was like wow I may actually need to take a gap year too and so that's when I started really considering taking a gap year and really doing something um do something reasonable with it um something that that would be practical and would help me um not only raise funds but also, um, you know, help me in the long run in terms of my uh, career goals. What advice would you have to people who are looking for forward to like medical school or even uh, law school or even just any type of graduate program? How do you ensure this is a career path that you want to pursue? Man, I think just talking to people, like talking to as many people as you can who are in various positions in their career. Like, for example, if you're trying to go into trying to become a doctor, I would talk to someone who just started med school, talk to someone who's finishing med school, try uh, to talk to someone who's in residency, maybe fellowship or not, um, and talk to someone who's like further established in their career. Um, mm-hmm. And same thing for like, you know, lawyers and stuff. I'm not exactly sure how the law school process works, but talk to someone, I think talking to someone in law school, talking to somebody um, who's like started off in a career, someone who's more established in a career. And of course, there's so many different facets and various fields within those huge fields, like, you know, just various specialties in medicine. I'm, say, I'm sure it's the same in law, in law school and other graduate programs. But I think just, you know, the idea is finding a, a pretty good sample of people to talk to in each in the career path that you're looking to go into um because those those people will those people will give you the best i think 
I mean, the most practical answers that he can and advice in terms of how what they think about their career paths and the challenges and the um, great things about it and just what to expect. Um, so mm-hmm. I think talking to people mm-hmm. is a really big thing. And if you don't have access to those, access to those people, um, I think um, if you're in college, finding um, organizations who give you the opportunity to interact with these people um, and not being stubborn about um, not wanting to join any organizations, thinking they can do it by yourself. Because even if you can do it by yourself, you never know what you don't know until mm-hmm. you're offered that um, opportunity or that advice. And that's so good. that's kind of, that's what I, that's my, that would be my piece of advice in terms of that. Nice. And also your blog, if you're thinking about medicine, <laughs> uh, you know, your blog, Black Man MD, it, it talks about every single, is it week of your medical school journey? Yeah, is it every single week of medical school. That's crazy. So like, <laughs> I don't know of anything else that has that much knowledge and like perspective um, for someone in medical school. So you're like, Black Man MD is a great place to start if you're for, the, for medical school. I don't know about for law school or any of the others, but I can say for that one. <laughs> nice. Um, and so we want to switch gears a little bit and then talk about medical school and kind of those those four years that you chronicled um, every single week, which is crazy to me. Wow. <laughs> so. On your blog, you said that you were waitlisted for medical school. So what was the time like for you where you were just kind of like in limbo? And um, how did you really hold fast to um, becoming a physician? Well, it was stressful, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. So like I touched on a little earlier, I just to kind of give you a brief idea of the timeline that I was on. So Junior year finished, and so I started studying for my MCAT the summer between my junior and senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And in that time period, I was a part of um, an MCAT preparation program down at the University of Miami mm-hmm. um, that was free mm-hmm. and allowed minority students to, you know, take this like eight week course and really get structured um, mentorship and um, uh, instruction on studying for the MCAT. And so I did that whole course. It was really helpful. It was really helpful to me and to really just get a better idea of how to, how to take the test. I took the test and I did okay on it. Um, I didn't do as well as I wanted to, but I also did, didn't do bad enough to have to take it again, at least mm-hmm. in, my, in my opinion. So um, I decided to just kind of go with that score um, and go ahead and turn my whole application in. And so I, I submitted it. Actually, I submitted it before I got my MCAT score back. <laughs> which I don't know if I'd recommend, but I was a 20-year-old kid. Uh-huh. I did that. And um, then I got my first interview at a, uh, at a, from the University of Miami in September, I believe. And I went on an interview in November. Mm. And then I got my second interview from the Wake Forest School of Medicine in December. Actually, the same night I took and pretty much bombed my biochem final. Oh, I got wow. an email that I got an interview for um, uh, Wake Forest. And so I accepted that. And um, I went on my interview in January of the next year. And so I had those two interviews. And those are the only two interviews I got throughout that whole time period. And then I was waitlisted to the University of Miami. Like, I forget exactly when, but I ended up getting waitlisted there. And then after my interview at Wake Forest, I got waitlisted there as well. And so I was just on a waitlist. Um, 
throughout the rest of the spring semester through graduation. So I graduated mm -hmm. from college and I didn't know what my next step was because I was still waitlisted to both schools. And so I just kind of hung out in Miami for a couple of weeks with some friends. Well, that's kinda, fun. <laughs> absolutely nothing to do in my life. So <laughs> I just hung out um, for two weeks. And I, after the second week, I was like, okay, I got to like figure out what I'm going to do um, <laughs> moving forward. And mm -hmm. so um, that's around a time where I pretty much decided I was probably going to most likely take a gap year because I was most likely not going to be able to get into either the med schools um, or so I thought. And so I started to apply to like an admissions officer job at the University of Miami to do for like a year or two and just kind of raise funds and mm -hmm. travel the country and talk about Miami and whatnot, which would have been a really fun job, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so I was going to do that. But then as I was starting to fill out that application, I got my acceptance from the Wake Forest School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got that after like two weeks after graduation and like months and months after my interview. And so that ended up being the only acceptance I got. And so I got to with that one. And then I uh, was like, I got into med school. Sweet, dope. I'm like, oh, wait, I got into med school. Like, what do I do now? <laughs> so that's kind of like how I, you know, the next couple of months kind of prepared for med school. And um, that's when I ended up starting my blog and everything. Nice. Nice. And so what led you to start uh, Black Man MD? Yeah. So just picking up. Right where I left off in the story. So um, I got my acceptance to med school. Um, and so, you know, the first few weeks, a couple of weeks after that, I was, you know, I was real high and proud and like happy and shouting joyous praises, praises to tell everybody. And everyone was excited. And then after all that kind of died down a bit, I was like, OK, so uh, what's med school actually like? <laughs> like I have a... I have a general idea of what med school is like. You know, people like kind of tell you based off memory, but yeah. like I didn't really have a nuanced understanding of what the day-to-day -day life was going to be like. And so I was like, oh God, okay. I've been spending <laughs> all this energy and time um, to try and get to med school that now that I'm in, I didn't even like think about what the next step was going to be because I spent so much time and energy like, and money trying to get into a med school. That's another thing. It's expensive to, again, expensive to apply to med school. <laughs> but that aside... I started to um, look online for various avenues like blogs or websites or other things that kind of give me a better nuanced idea of what med school was like. And so I found several things that were helpful, um, but none of them really had the um, consistent kind of day-to-day um, -day or week-to-week -week kind of um, uh, timeline that I was looking for. And a lot of the blogs that I found like they had, it started off with really good intentions and they started off strong, but they kind of just petered off after a while and kind of some of them had stopped. Like, you know, there hadn't been any updates in like months or in some cases a couple of years. And so it's like, it was kind of just left there. And so it was helpful to read, but then after a certain amount of time, it was like, well, there's no more information. And so I, you know, and that's another thing was I, I really didn't find any blogs that I could 100% um, really relate to. Like, I mean, there was no, I mean, there weren't any blogs about black men in MD in medical school. Um, there's maybe like one, I think, but it was like a older blog. Um, and there was a couple about a couple with uh, just, uh, black people in general in med school, like black women in med school, which were really, really helpful. Uh, but again, nothing that I could um, 100% really relate to. And so 
after kind of just doing my exhaustive search and talking to people and having a better idea of what med school was like in terms of the day-to-day life, but not as much, not as good of an idea as I would like, I then um, thought to myself, well, why not create what I'm looking for? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a good idea and all, but I'm not a blogger. Like I've never blogged a day in my life. Like that's, I'm, that's not me. Right. And then I thought to myself, maybe that's a conversation that a lot of people have themselves and maybe that's why there's a positive information. Mm. And so I, I did a lot of back and forth um, over a couple of weeks about starting it or not. And I told myself, well, if I'm going to start this, then this is a, this is the best time to do it. And mm. I also need to be committed to keeping it up. Like, I'm not going to just start it and then stop it. Like, I got to keep at it, like, over a consistent, I got to keep at it consistently over, um, you know, for foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And so after, um, you know, debating myself for more time than I would like to state, <laughs> I finally decided to go ahead and create the blog. And I made my first post um, in like mid to late July of 2015 when I started med school. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I didn't post again for a month because I was like, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. And so I had that one post and they just kind of sat there. And I left it private too. I didn't want anyone to read it, read anything. And so I let it sit there. And then I came back to it um, late August and I was like, okay, I'm actually going to like do this. I think this is not a bad idea. And so I started off, um, you know, started the post and I started doing it weekly. And after like three weeks of keeping it private, I decided, okay, I think I'm going to, you know, pull the plug and just make it public. Make it public. I'm just going to go big and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so late September came about and I was like, all right, I'm going to make it public. And I made it public and I posted it on my social media and all this. And I was like, I'm creating a blog. Let's see what happens, guys. <laughs> and people loved it, man. People yeah. really loved it. And I was I was honestly shocked that people loved what I was what I was saying and what I was um, you know, I'm I'm chronicling through um my early days of med school. Um, because I it was really just it was really a stream of consciousness at the beginning, just like talking about stuff and like my feelings and like um really just, you know, saying like things were hard, what things were cool, what things were, you know, exciting, what things were challenging. And I just, you know, after I realized that I have some, after some people who are like actually reading it every week, I just, it inspired me to keep going. And so I just kept it going. Nice. Nice. And I, I remember reading in the very, very beginning, you had to have like maybe like five posts or something. And I was uh-huh. I was pre-med and I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you were you're reaching people and it's really awesome. And it's crazy to see how far uh, you've come and how far um, black black man MD has come as well. It's um, so crazy. Oh my yeah. gosh. I can't imagine this gun as big as it's gotten. Yeah. Like, it's, it's still amazing to me. Wow. Hey y'all, it's Candice here and I had to interrupt today's episode to say thank you. So I had a goal last season to reach 500 total downloads. We surpassed that goal. In season two, I didn't tell y'all this, but I had the personal goal of reaching over 1,000 downloads by the end of season two. This isn't even the end guys, and we've already reached over 1,000 total downloads. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing the podcast downloading the podcast and all of that. So make sure you continue to do that because we want to make this big. We want to make sure that everyone can save, invest, pay off debt and live their best lives. 
Now let's go ahead and get into the show. Also, you talked about kind of like not seeing a lot of black men blogging about their experience in medical school and and probably in general, honestly. Um, I'm just curious to know how you think maybe diversity in medicine has changed, if it has changed, even since you've been in your start of medical school to now being in your uh, residency. Yeah, so um, I don't know if you know, but like in 2014, there was a study showing that there were fewer applicants, fewer black applicants to med school around that time than there were like in the mid seventies. And so diversity was really like, I mean, it definitely, um, it's it's a constant issue when it comes to uh, medicine. And I think, I mean, it's hard to say, I think there have been um, some changes that have been made at institutions to really increase the level of um, diversity and inclusion in their institutions, some more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is a push. It's been like this kind of slow push to kind of increase the amount mm-hmm. of minority applicants um, into med school and, and whatnot. Um, and I think especially after um, the explosion of the Black Lives Matter um, mm-hmm. protests and the movement and just the racial injustices that we've seen time and time again, and this explosion of that throughout this past year, I feel like, you know, it's really like thrown into the faces of people and the faces of institutions and organizations that, I mean, racial injustice and discrimination is a very real thing. Systemic racism Mm -hmm. is a very real thing. And we need to really fight against this, which is, I mean, something that, you know, you and I like understand, we've understood this for, for, that's been like alive. Like we know the stuff. Everyone's starting to wake up finally. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I think, I'm hopeful that um, institutions are very serious about being, fighting racism and Mm -hmm. really trying to be intentional in uh, systematically dismantling uh, discrimination and racism, um, implicit bias, and also trying to be intentional in increasing the amount of underrepresented minorities in medicine by mm-hmm. accepting more minority applicants and by um, supporting, not only accepting them, but supporting them throughout their mm-hmm. medical school experience and beyond as well. Um, and so I'm hopeful that there is going to be a further increase in the diversity of, of medicine um, in, the, in the near future. And like I said, these past few years, I mean, personally, like just even on like an online platform, I've seen more blogs and more like avenues of more people uh, of minority populations um you know expressing themselves through like uh youtube videos through podcasts through blogs like this is uh the social media there's like a lot of social media pages especially on instagram and it's like the whole black med twitter thing um so and med twitter general and so i definitely i definitely think there's a lot more content out there um for diverse audiences in on on the online platform than there were when I was looking for it back in 2015. Granted, that could also be due to the fact that um, more people are comfortable using online platforms to express their views and stuff. Because you know, social media and the, the internet continues to evolve as you know we um, kind of uh, learn more and more about um, how it works, and it evolves alongside our you know evolution as uh, you know the evolution of our society. Mm. And so I think I'm hopeful that there is going to be continued 
efforts to increase diversity and inclusion and equity in healthcare. Nice. That is awesome. And speaking of that, I have to ask the question, but um, did you deal with any overt or even covert racism while in medical school or even, you know, uh, now in residency? Yeah. So I get a question quite a bit, actually. And it's funny because I'm I think I'm fortunate in the sense that I actually have not dealt with um, overt racism at all. Um, I can't I can't think of any experiences that, that were overtly racist. That being said, I mean, I only know what I see and what I what I hear. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, no idea what people say behind my back, no idea what people think of me. Um, so I mean, I can't say 100 percent that I have never dealt with racism because that's false. Um, I, I mean, the most that I feel like I've dealt with um head on is being mistaken for um for somebody that's not a doctor. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know several times during my medical school experience, I was, you know, thought of as a, a, bas- a, a basketball player on a Wake Forest team. Mm. Um, um, and I've also been, you know, uh, confused with um, someone else on a healthcare team, like a respiratory therapist or mm. a nurse or somebody else. Um, and so, I mean, while I'm not overtly racist or anything in that sense, it also kind of sends, you know, subliminal messages in the sense that, um yeah, when I see you, I don't think doctor. I think of something else before I even think doctor or med student. And so, you know, kind of dealing with those microaggressions um, that a lot of minority people deal with on a daily basis. And so I definitely had my fair share of microaggressions, um, whether intentional or not. Um, but overtly racist, I, yeah, I mean, no one's called me the N-word to my face. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, whether, whether, I mean, I don't know if they're either too scared to because mm-hmm. I look threatening or they just wouldn't do that. I don't know. I mean, I can't, sp- I cannot speak for other people that I know who have dealt with overt racism and mm-hmm. various and overt and covert racism in various instances. So I can't speak for them. Um, I can only speak for myself. Um, and so I'm lucky that I can't think of any time that I dealt with overt racism. That's good. That's good. And you and and I'm glad I'm glad about that. Right. Um, but there there are those microaggressions that, you know, we constantly have to deal with. And um, it, it's great just to see. I know uh, to see a, a black man that is a physician and can like help my children when I have them and stuff <laughs> like that. That is that is an amazing thing to see and so inspiring too for younger people to be able to see someone that looks like them in a white coat. That's awesome. <laughs> It's, it's so awesome. And I mean, like, there's been multiple um, instances, even as recent as two nights ago when I was on night shift, um, where I'd go into a room and there's a black family. And I, I always introduce myself as Dr. Weekon Kennedy. And I also go by Dr. Dub mm-hmm. because Dub is short for W and it's just so much easier to say and remember and people love it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I introduce myself as a doctor and they're always like, whoa, especially the parents are mm-hmm. like, whoa. You're, you're our doctor? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And they're just so amazed and impressed and just so thankful that I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not only am I a black, a young black man standing in front of them, but I also have dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. And I just look something, I look like, I mean, you don't, people, society doesn't see me and think doctor immediately. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really cool to be um, in those moments where they literally, I don't, I mean, I don't know them. They don't know me, but they're so thankful that I'm there. They tell me that they're proud of me and that um, they they love to see someone like me in the position I'm, I'm in and that they're 
thankful that their kid is getting the care the care they need from me. And so mm-hmm. that I've done that time and time again. And that's been that's been really fulfilling and really heartwarming. Good, good. All your hard work. All your hard work. Wow. Awesome. So going off of that a little bit, it is very clear in your blog that you loved your peds rotation. <laughs> so uh, let me read something that you said. You said, overall, my time in peds uh, in the peds night shift was a memorable and enriching experience filled with encounters that will truly be unforgettable. So what are some unforgettable moments in that peds rotation or even throughout med- medical school that um, solidified your choice to pr- pursue a career in medicine? Yeah, so... Wow. Yeah, my peds rotation was amazing. It was it was great. I literally like like throughout that six week block, like if you read through each of my um weekly um blog posts, you literally see the transition where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I like this, I like this, I love this. Oh god, I'm in a crisis. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I mean, in regards to unforgettable experiences, I mean I had experiences with several patients, you know, that I just I would go into their rooms even after rounds and I'll go into the rooms in the afternoon and just kind of hang with them and play with them um, and just kind of be there for them when their families weren't able to be there. And, you know, these kids are like, you know, they're like six, seven, eight years old and just kind of hang in the hospital by themselves sometimes. And so it was really cool to just be able to go in there and play with them and talk with them about what they want to do when they grow up, um, about the things they like to do, um, you know, what their life is like, even though they have, a lot of them have chronic conditions. Um, also, just going to the emergency department and um, you know taking care of kids from that standpoint. Um, there were kids who were unfortunately diagnosed with chronic conditions um, like cancer and whatnot, and so I was able to experience that and really kind of take in the moment where the family learned of the condition and um, had to really come to terms with that over the course of you know the days and weeks that followed. Um, and so I was able to be a part of that. Um, I also was able to, in my fourth year in med school, go to this month-long experience um, at this camp called Victory Junction. Mm-hmm. And it's a summer camp for kids with chronic illnesses in North Carolina. And so every week was a different week. Like it had a, like a different theme. So one week would be like um, neurology week where kids with neurology conditions, uh, which are like, you know, brain conditions and um, nervous system conditions would come in and um, spend a week at camp just to have fun. Wow. Um, and then other would be like sickle cell disease week and cancer week and, um, you know, kidney, uh, kidney issues week and just various weeks um, for different sets of populations of kids. And so I was able to do that and that was truly unforgettable. Mm-hmm. Like it was just amazing to have really just, I mean, I was really just there as like a medical assistant in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, for things for kids if they needed it. And I also was able to work as a counselor for like for a week or two. Um just to really be in there with the kids. And it was really amazing to see these kids that are usually in and out of the hospital have be normal kids and have fun at a camp. And they were just regular kids running around and stuff and and just you know having a blast at camp. And these kids were also like chronically ill, but it was just a they call it like a magical experience, which I would agree. It was like a magical experience to be there and just watch them have so much fun and just enjoy life. Um, so that was really unforgettable. Um, and it really reminded me that um, to this day, like kids that are in the hospital, uh, in and out or in, uh, in the hospital for long periods of time, um, they are still at end of the day kids who um, otherwise 
um, can have normal, uh, relatively normal lives. And it also just, you know, uh, got me thinking about the families that, that, that take care of these kids and um, what they go through on a daily basis and some of the relief they get when the kids go to camp and um, are able to have, have a ton of fun and really just be enjoy being a kid while the families also, um, you know, get a chance to kind of collect, collect the, collect themselves together. Um, and, you know, just appreciate the fact that the kid is having a great time somewhere. That's good. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about um, the the kids on the at the camp um, with you know chronic conditions, chronic illnesses, and that's like the worst thing to see, especially from children. You know, because your heart goes out to little kids. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to understand too, um, from your point of view, what are some pressing um, medical and or public health issues that are currently affecting uh, children of color? Yeah, man. So. I can just kind of just off the top of my head think of a couple. So, you know, uh, toxic toxic stress syndrome, mm. and so that, that's like you know that our um, toxic stress syndrome can cause adverse um, uh, child events, and so toxic stress in general, um, it it affects all you know people across the spectrum, but it disproportionately affects. Uh, people of color and children of mm-hmm. color um and these children are affected because their family units um if they're living in poverty or and having to tackle systemic racism and mm-hmm. dealing with all the mm-hmm. things that come with um the challenge of living as a minority in america mm-hmm. um they can be adversely affected by by the stress that's uh put on them by their parents and unintentionally mm-hmm. um and you know that's that's chronic stress can manifest itself over time into like hypertension. It can manifest mm. itself into like diabetes. It can manifest itself into um, various other chronic problems that we see like in, in, I mean, the populations across America, but again, disproportionately in minority populations. Mm. And because of systemic racism, uh, because of, you know, um, you know, generations of discrimination and whatnot, um, a lot of minority populations are today put in these almost like silos in these like mm-hmm. these situations where they're in chronic cycles of either poverty or chronic cycles of um, adverse health outcomes. Um, people live in areas that are environmentally um, hazardous, mm-hmm. um, and that again perpetuates these these public health issues and these conditions that they are chronically living with. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it in this pandemic in mm-hmm. COVID-19, how it disproportionately affects people of color. Um, and it's just, it's a very, it's, it's a very complex and compounded issue that will take a lot of energy, time, money, and effort to try and dismantle. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that that's, um ad- adversely affecting children of color um and then i mean you have like chronic diseases disproportionately affecting children of color like i've i've seen a lot of uh, quite a bit of sickle cell disease um while in the hospital mm-hmm. and mainly i'm thinking that's the one that's on top of my mind because i am currently um i've been kind of off and on uh, my hematology oncology rotation over the past couple of months and so mm-hmm. i've seen 
um, quite a bit of sickle cell disease, especially in the past couple of weeks. And so that's on top of my mind. And, you know, that affects primarily black people, um, black, black and Hispanic people. Um, it can affect uh, white people rarely too, but mm-hmm. um, the vast majority of people with sickle cell disease are uh, black people. And no, it's a terrible disease to live with. And it's, I think I found, I found that sickle cell disease isn't as well-funded as conditions like, you know, cancer, mm-hmm. which cancer in itself should be funded and needs to be continued. It needs to be a lot of research done in cancer and mm-hmm. we, we need that money there. Mm-hmm. We also need a lot of money in sickle cell disease because there are people who are living with that and uh, who are suffering mm-hmm. from that. And, you know, sickle cell disease cuts your life expectancy by almost half, wow. almost. And it's a condition, a chronic condition that needs funding, that needs um, a lot more researchers, um, needs the love that, you know, cancer gets or other, you know, big health um, health issues. Nice. So, nice. Comes to mind. Yeah. And wow, I, I you said toxic stress was the first mm-hmm. one. I don't, yeah. I don't think that... I've never heard it in that context. So I appreciate you kind of explaining that a little bit more. And, you know, sickle cell disease uh, is something, you know, African-Americans have been facing for such a long time. And I completely agree with you um, with those. And my my question is a thing that I like to think about is like, Okay, so what what's the next best step? My my roommate tells me that I don't have to try to solve everything in one day, <laughs> you know. So one thing that I'm curious about is for us as a black community, and then for us as a, a larger community as a whole. So that just means like the U.S. or what have you. What's our next next best step? What would you recommend for people to kind of help to mitigate? Um, sickle cell or mitigate the toxic stress what are some things that we can do now well there's a lot that people can do for sure um and like you said it's it's hard because it's almost it almost becomes disabling like there's so much to do that you kind of become paralyzed like i don't know where to start mm-hmm. um i think one good place to start where you can never go wrong is being an advocate um you know reaching out to um you know for example if you want to deal with um or help the sickle cell population mm-hmm. like looking up a sickle cell foundation mm-hmm. um and contacting them seeing if there's any ways they can help that you can help uh, directly for their foundation and i'm sure someone's going to reach out to you and um give you various ways to help with that mm-hmm. um when it comes to you know advocating for like you know talk to stress or um you know funding or just um for people to take a better look at these things mm-hmm. I mean, you can also always advocate to your local representative um, in the government, um, kind of say that you 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 would like for them to um, divert funding to these areas that need funding and attention to these areas. So, being an advocate, you can never go wrong. Um, and like looking up these foundations or organizations that deal with these things and kind of trying to partner with them. Um, that's always a good starting place. And from there, you kind of uh, expand upon your interest in the advocacy that you want to do. 
Nice. That's awesome. And speaking of advocacy, you have a scholarship now. It's called Desire, Desire to Inspire. And yeah. I want to talk a little bit about this in some of the time that we have left, because this is so awesome. So do you mind just giving like a brief overview of the scholarship, what it is and, and what you all are, are trying to do or are doing, actually? <laughs> Absolutely. So this is like near and dear to my heart. Like I, the Desire to Inspire Scholarship, um, it's a scholarship that is designed for minority high school students who are either rising juniors or rising seniors mm-hmm. who are interested in the field, field of healthcare and are doing things to inspire others around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the overall idea of the scholarship. The scholarship is three questions, uh, three essay questions, pretty short essay questions, and um, also some identifying information. Um, and so that's the overall like gist of the scholarship. It's been going on since 2019 now. So we're we're in a third year of doing it and we're mm-hmm. raising money. Uh, we've actually raised enough money to go ahead and get the scholarship going um, in a couple of months. That's good. Um, it's something that I had, I'd always wanted to start a scholarship or give money to a scholarship fund because I always understood how important scholarships were to me, especially in college where I was actually awarded a full tuition scholarship to go to my to University of Miami, and That's that really awesome. changed my life. So uh, it's it's something that I've always wanted to do, and something that I continue to um, that I plan on continuing to expand upon and grow and grow in the future. Mm, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. And for the people listening, who qualifies for the scholarship and also how do students apply? Thanks. Yeah, for sure. So um, qualification, the criteria are that you are a um, high school student either going into their junior year or going into their senior year mm-hmm. um, in the in the year that the scholarship is being awarded, um, you would have to be um, of um, African-American background, either that, uh, Latinx American or um, Native American, mm-hmm. and a minimum of a 2.5 cumulative GPA. Gotcha. And then you also need to have an interest in the field of healthcare. Gotcha. That's good. And in terms of finding the scholarship, um, the scholarship can... Um, so over the past, in the past couple of years, it could be found on blackmanmd.com and you could find the scholarship link and you'll still be able to find it um, this year as well on blackmanmd.com. Um, there are a couple other ways where you could access the scholarship, um, including the scholarships.com, fastweb.com. Um, but you can, but you never, you never fail if you go to blackmanmd.com and the, the 20, 2021 Design Inspired Scholarship will be one of the icons that you can click and you can read more information there and access the application there. Nice. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. So again, if you need a little bit of money and you, <laughs> you know, you go ahead and make sure you apply for those scholarships and make sure you qualify though too, and then go ahead and apply as well. Um, so, sure. yeah. So the last, or, well, I actually have two more questions, but this is, you know, yeah. kind of last, um, uh, yeah. how, do, how can our audience also contribute to the scholarship? Yeah, so um, every year there's a scholarship fundraiser, um, and the GoFundMe is also on BlackmanMD.com. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm actually in the transition process of trying to make the fundraiser um, uh, change from a seasonal kind of thing to a year-round kind of thing where you can contribute anytime, anywhere. And so um, 
once that happens, it'll be evident on the blog. But you can always just go to the blog and there you just click the fundraiser and once you click that, you can you be taken to the GoFundMe site where you can contribute to the fundraiser for the scholarship. Nice. Nice. That's good. So good. So I'm going to also put that information in the show notes. So those of you who want to contribute to the scholarship, because we want to see more black doctors, um, we'll provide that link so we can um, contribute there as well. So final two questions, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) That's all good. This is great. In closing, thank you. Um, The questions that we ask everybody that comes on the show. Um, So the first is what is the best piece of advice that you never received? Not that you've ever received that you never received something you wish you knew, but didn't know. Man, that's a really good question. That's a really great question. And um, it's kind of reflecting on life and like (laughs) kind of where I've come to this point, (laughs) how I've come to this point in life. Um, I think something that I advice that I never never really got um, that I had to figure out on my own is the fact that like no matter what you do, no matter what you do in life, and no matter what experiences you have in life, um, you can always turn it into a win for you. Mm-hmm. You can always like you truly, if you have the right mentality you can truly never lose. Like mm-hmm. every experience, mm-hmm. every um, quote unquote loss is a lesson to turn into a win, a future win. Mm-hmm. And just kind of having that shift in mindset um, is so critical, not only in like medicine, but just in life in general. Um, never like beating yourself down on something that didn't go your way, but instead using that as a platform to catapult yourself into another win. Like, Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's something that I I feel is so valuable, and I think some people have that intuitive knowledge, but a lot of people don't. And I think it's something that I've learned over the years mm-hmm. to um, have that mindset. I guess you can call it a growth mindset mm-hmm. um, in terms of kind of like having that mindset when you, when you when you're encountering challenges and just going through life in general. Mm. So that's something that I would piece of advice that I would give. Uh, that's so good. That's so good. And your mindset, like the mental man, that is that is what can drive you and to greatness. I had I had a conversation with uh, someone who I consider my mentor a couple days ago, and uh, he really let me have it, you know. <laughs> but uh, part of it was, I think, you know, just being mentally. Sh- tough during you know mundane times is is definitely something that's necessary but also being able to you know shift your mindset and turn up something that's a quote-unquote bad into a good is definitely like a skill and (laughs) something that can learn (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then finally what's next for you you have black man md you have your desire to inspire scholarship you're in your peds uh residency what's next so um, that's a great question. So <laughs> now that I'm midway, <laughs> now I'm midway through my um, peace residency, I have to start thinking about the next steps for me in my career and like what I want to do um, in conjunction with my career. And so I have decided recently that I'm going to go into pediatric fellowship. Awesome. And so I'm going to go into pediatric nephrology, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the study of the kidneys. And um, that's going to be an additional three years of training just to kind of learn about the renal system. Um, 
but outside of that, I I want to get more and I want to learn more about um, advocacy for children on um, not only like a local scale but on a bigger scale as well. Um, and I have I also want to learn you know how um, various kinds of like health systems research, health services research can tie into policy change. Mm -hmm. And so I do have a bit of an interest in that. And so I'm kind of navigating that route and 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 we're gonna incorporate I'm gonna try and incorporate that into my future career. Mm -hmm. um, I plan on continuing to, you know, blog. I don't blog weekly in residency because that's just crazy hard. <laughs> <laughs> I still I still blog routinely, like every two to four weeks I'll put a new blog post, but I'm, I plan on continuing to do that, continuing to expand upon the scholarship. Um, and I'm hoping that I can eventually make the scholarship um, a nonprofit entity and, and kind of go into maturity. Nice, nice. Well, nothing but great things for you. Um, we're so excited to kind of follow your journey. Remember, you know, we'll put Black MD, Black Man MD, into the show notes, and we'll also put your Instagram. But um, this has been such a great time speaking with you. Um, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Um, and we, we're just excited to see what you, what else you're going to be doing. And we know it's going to be nothing but greatness. Thank you so much, Candice. It's, this has been a blast. I've had so much fun just nice. talking with you, catching up. Um, I, I've, I've loved this. And I love what you're doing with your platform, too. Like, it's always exciting to see people do, like, new podcasts and just keep it up and keep it going, being consistent about it. Um, and just, like, other avenues as well, like blogs and videos and stuff. So keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you. See, I told you. I told you. These episodes keep getting better. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Dub for coming on the show and dropping some knowledge for us today. So, of course, I have those top tips for you all. Today, I actually have seven of them. So these are ones that you really want to go deep in. These are ones that really do make you think. So let's go ahead and get into it. The first tip is if you're in college, take advantage of those programs which expose you to the field you want to pursue. The second is leverage what you have and your experiences and apply that special knowledge to whatever you're pursuing. Tip three is when thinking about a big move, understand first what you value and what you need out of the opportunity. Then filter all options out based on those considerations. Tip four is in addition to your career, learn something outside of the field you want to pursue. It makes you a more well-rounded applicant when it comes to seeking new opportunities. Tip five is talk to someone who is in the same field you're considering to see if it is the right path for you. Number six is use your experiences, whether good or bad, to catapult you into a win. Number seven and the final tip for today is be consistent. If you're passionate about something and want to see a change, make a decision and be consistent with the decision you've made. All right, so that wraps us up for today. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, download this episode, share it with your mama and them. All right, we're saving, we're investing, we're paying off debt and living our best lives over here. And we will see you next week. <laughs>